We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. to another Kilkenny Today. Morris O'Connor with you as usual and good afternoon if you're listening live on the Tuesday or good morning if you're listening to us on the repeat on the with me one way or the other here on Community Radio Kilkenny City. 88.7 FM first station of course on the FM dial and of course also crkc.ie so do tell your family and friends and anybody in the Kilkenny diaspora that they can listen in crkc.ie from anywhere around the world great to have those listeners from wherever they come from. Now, uh, towards the end of today's show, you may have heard over the last few days the controversy about the leaking of some of the details of the Mother and Baby Home Commission's report. We're going to be talking to Kathleen Function, TD, who's, of course, Sinn Féin's spokesperson for Children and Youth Affairs. We'll be chatting to Kathleen around about quarter to six-ish. Um, before that, we'll have ad breaks, of course. No parish news today, needless to say, for the moment, until the current restrictions are lifted and uh, church activity gets back in action again. We'll also be hearing just in the, towards the middle of the show from Mick Parr, who's the National Estates Manager for Creelche. And uh, I thought it'd be good to have Mick. Creelche, uh, of course, run Jenkinstown, which is becoming a very, very popular, not that it wasn't popular already, but even more of a popular venue for people to get out and about and do their little bit of exercise if they can get there within the five kilometres. And uh, so we'll be hearing from uh, Mick Parr, National Estates Manager for Creelcha. Later on, we'll chat in general about all about Jenkinstown and matters related to all of that. Um, so before we, we go on with all of that, though, earlier on today, I had a conversation uh, with Sharon Vard, who's the Chief Executive Officer of a charity called Anam Kara, who, so, who provides supports to parents after bereavement. Um, of course, bereavement is a constant feature of life, needless to say. Um, but bereavement of children is, uh, I suppose, very, very difficult and particularly difficult and particularly difficult when there are younger children involved and indeed difficult for the parents and indeed for siblings as well. So I spoke to um, Sharon Vard earlier on today. So let's have a listen to her and she'll be telling us what it is that Anam Kara do and we'll be chatting about the kind of services they provide. So let's have a listen to that now. Uh, Sharon Vard, Chief Executive Officer of Anam Cara, uh, welcome to Community Radio Kilkenny City and uh, so first of all, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too, Morris. Lovely to have you with us. Um, Anam Cara is maybe not a charity that's the most well known around and about unless of course you were one of your key kind of service recipients, i.e. parents um, after bereavement. So tell us a bit about Anamkara first before we go into detail of how you've okay. been. Okay, well, Anamkara is a national organisation. It was founded back in 2008, uh, Morris, and it was found, founded by bereaved parents in direct response to the lack of support, information, resources that were available to families who had experienced the death of a, a child of any age and through all, all circumstances. So uh, I suppose we have grown uh, from... 
I suppose initially we just had one group that met in in Dublin and then parents started traveling from different parts of Ireland to, uh, to that group and then we expanded so we currently have 12 groups throughout the island of Ireland and and we also then work with certain partnerships as well uh, in different areas so you know again I suppose the best use of resources and funding is if there's other organizations that are uh, in that space of, of supporting brief parents we will work with them too. Mm-hmm. And of course, like just thinking about the whole topic of bereavement, as I did before starting the chat with you, Sharon, it can kind of occurs to me that like bereavement can happen at so many different kind of life stages for for parents, you know, from when their child is really young to parents being bereaved, and um, when their child is well. In case my own parents um, lost one of my um, siblings when they were in their early eighties, so does, does yeah. Adam kind of focus on parents bereaved by the death of young children, particularly? No, we would be an inclusive organisation, Morris. We would, we would support all bereaved parents. I suppose, as I said, we recognise that as it's a journey. It's not the natural order of life like your parents. You know what I mean? Their eighties, losing, losing a son or daughter. I mean, um, so, so we would offer that our support to all bereaved parents and and um as i said regardless of the the age of their child um so we would have parents who possibly even their children are married have families of their own um but yet they need support too um if they if if something has happened to their son or daughter mm. and then because uh, other pe- people would also probably include in the broadest kind of scope of what bereavement is all about even um, events tragic events like miscarriages and stillbirths is, is they are they are they something that there may be other organizations might focus more on than yourselves Yes, and, and if a parent, say if a parent contacts me and they have maybe experienced a late miscarriage, like we would all obviously send them our information, but we would also send them information from the Miscarriage Association of Ireland and other organisations like Felicon or Little Lifetime Foundation that are maybe more specialised in, in, you know, pregnancy loss, neonatal loss, stillbirths. Um, same token as well, Morris, that maybe if, if someone has experienced the death of their son or daughter by suicide, we would also, you know, um, link them in to the likes of Pieta House, because they're organisations that specialise in that in that loss, and 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 we're yeah. always there for them as brief parents. But sometimes parents need that little bit of support around how their child died. Yeah, yeah, I did notice as well from just looking at your website, Sharon, that even though the kind of the strap line is supporting parents after bereavement, that looking at the services, you do specifically recognise and offer kind of some support services to bereaved siblings. We as well. do, we do, we do that through our family events. Uh, we also have a leaflet in our information pack for for bereaved siblings. Um, but it, again, I suppose our focus, main focus, Morris, would be on parents right. because if parents are coping, you know, and building resilience to to their loss. By in turn, if they have children, they will follow suit. Um, but we also would link in with organisations like the Irish Child Bereavement Network, um, um, who would again have um, links and um, information about services that would support bereaved siblings throughout Ireland. Yeah, of course, all like all those other charities, like yeah, your own Anamkara, they're kind of responding to needs that haven't been really served by the state. So you have a range of services. To, again, just looking at your your website from the website itself as a source of information and resources through your groups that you mentioned and bereavement talks and. Uh, what you call family remembrance events. You have an information line and and a signposting service. That's quite a wide scope. Do you have a a team of trained um, therapists or is it 
kind of mutual support of people who have been bereaved or a mixture of both. Well, I suppose very heart of Amcar would be our bereaved parents. So it was a found, it was an organisation founded by parents, and initially we would have been the parents facilitating the groups as volunteers. However, you know as the organisation grew and parents were coming to us we very quickly learned that we needed the support of uh, professional facilitators in our group so these would be professionals who maybe would have a background in psychotherapy, counselling they could be family therapists uh, they could be social work background so they now they facilitate our groups and they keep the groups safe, you know. So the one thing that we'd like to say about Adam Carr, it is a safe and comfortable forum. And 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 it is true having those professional facilitators, we can keep that. But the nature of what we do is peer support. It is parents talking to other parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose from recently bereaved parents who are absolutely devastated, don't know where to turn. Um, and it's it's unrelentless grief, you know, in those early years. Um, it's, it's important then that they meet maybe other parents Parents, like myself, I'm a bereaved mum who have survived, you know, learned or, you know, developed my own coping style and just learn from us, you know, how, you know, how we have got through those early weeks, months, years, you know what I mean, to a place mm. where we, I suppose, what we say, accommodate our grief uh, and live mm. our lives around it, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose, yeah, it's the value of um, empathy, really, when you've been in a situation yourself, it does place you yeah. uniquely in a position to reach out and support um, other people who've been through the same thing. Um, so, no more than anybody else, whether it's um, medical services or anything else in the country, um, obviously the last year has been dominated by good. Uh, what sort of an impact has it had on, on a Makara, Sharon? Well, I suppose we always knew we had to do, you know, go online and I, I suppose drag ourselves into the 21st century. Um, uh, but last March when it all hit, Morris, I, I think for maybe a week we were like rabbits caught in the headlights thinking, what do we do now? Because our, our our main support service would be the Anamkara groups who met monthly face to face. But anyway, very quickly we, we, we learned, you know, how to go online um, and how to do it right. And again, what was really important to us that 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 form still remained safe and comfortable for parents coming in so yeah so we adapted um very quickly um to online so our groups are now online um and then recognizing that some people aren't comfortable online even now nearly a year later still don't really want to do online groups we also offer one-to-one uh, telephone support calls you know just again just for a bit of companionship empathy as you called compassion and and i suppose for particularly for the parents and sadly there's been quite a number of families bereaved since last march and into this COVID, and i can't even imagine how hard it's been for them you know because not only have they had you know um restrictions around funerals and that you know their natural support network which would be their extended family and friends can't be physically there for them i know they are there for them so so it's important that um people have support and they can access support you know to ensure that they 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 can journey through this this grief yeah, and, and, and other than letting people know, yeah, as you say, those particular circumstances that have arisen for people who are being briefed um, since COVID came along, um, other than letting them know that you're there, is there anything specific that you've been kind of able to configure a service or something to, to look at to, to respond to that? Or have you experienced a demand for service around, you know, triggered by the kind of the, the extra layer of grief and trauma? 
on anybody who's being bereaved in the last year. Yeah, I think um, I think even parents who had been attending Adam Carroll, you know, regularly, you know, they just found themselves, you know, it's it, the death of a child, even when you're surrounded with family and friends, it's still a very isolating experience. And then to be, I suppose, socially isolated as well, you know, through the circumstances of COVID-19, it has mm. compounded um, some parents lost. So like that, some people would have met friends for a cup of coffee or, you know, for a walk or uh, again into the gym, you know what I mean, exercising, things like that. And that has been taken away from some of them. So I know um, it has been a struggle for some brief parents. Uh, and then for other brief parents, it might even suit them, you know, that they don't have to go out and they don't have to, you know, oh. there's no social pressures on them as well. But I, I think the one thing I would always say about parental grief, it, it is very individual. I, I know when our own daughter died, how I coped, how my husband coped, how our other two children coped was very different. Not you know, and it is it is the most unique. Grief is unique to the, to the person. Um, but what we would, I suppose, the message, the key message we would like to get out through through yourselves is that you know, Anamkara is there. Like you know, whatever you need, we will try and source it for you or provide it to you. And uh, we have a really good information pack. There's eight leaflets in that. You know, it's it's a it's a great resource. Our website, um, parents can access uh, a bereavement information talk. It's there on our homepage. So again, you know when someone has been recently bereaved you know it throws you into this very strange world a world in fairness the whole of ireland has been in now with covid but but it it is a darker world um and a very gray world and i think just knowing that anam car is there the website the resources you know um and then just reach out to us if you need anything else you know we're at the end of the phone i suppose we better um we better just give out a contact detail. Your website is onamcara.ie. That's A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A.ie. It's a lovely name as well. Um, telephone contacts, what's the best way for people to get in touch yeah, with Yeah, we, we have an information line. So it's 85 288 So again, an easy one to remember, 85 288 Right, and that's uh, answered. Um, um, normal office hours or out of office hours? Yeah, no, we're normally we're no we're nine we're not twenty four seven. Unfortunately, we wouldn't have the resource for that. But we are nine to five Monday to Friday, and and again, uh, you know, if people want to drop us an in uh, an email to info at Anam Cara, um, you know, we'll get back to them straight away with whatever information they need. Great. Uh, I suppose, like the same as uh, everybody else in the charity sector, um, Sharon, you probably you have some state support from I've noticed from Pavel and Tusla, which I'm sure is very welcome to you. Some corporate support, which you very nicely acknowledge mm. on your website, and then there's public donations. I suppose you're depending on how how has fundraising been affected? Oh, since it, oh it's come along. Yeah, no. Unfortunately, we would run a couple of lunches a year, fundraising lunches a year, and that Morris, but we've had to stop stop all that. Um, but in fairness, um, Pubble again, um, they would have done a, co a COVID a COVID stability fund, which was absolutely lifesaver for us. It meant we could just continue running our services. Um, mm. Obviously, this year is still, we don't know what's going to happen. But look, no matter what, you know, we'll, we'll get the money somewhere. I mean, we'll be banging on doors and, and making phone calls, whatever. Yeah. But uh, we know we are essential service and it is really, really important that families who've experienced the loss of a son or daughter, the death of a son or daughter, have, you know, support, uh, a dedicated support And you do have a, a make a donation button anywhere at the top of your website's uh, page. I, I do so, if anyone yeah, wants yeah, to. Anybody is well, well able to go onto that and just click through and make a little donation via credit card or 
Um, look, it's been lovely talking to you. Hopefully, um, it'll be lovely to say that you won't have any huge need for the service, but I'm sure the need for the service will continue and hopefully not grow to the extent that you're, you're, you'd struggle to respond to it anyway. Uh, very best wishes to yourself, Sharon, and all your colleagues and all your volunteers in particular in um, that are involved in Anam Car. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you, Morris. Thank you for the opportunity. There you go. That's with Sharon Corr, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Anamkara, and you can get their website, A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A dot I-E, and uh, the phone number that uh, uh, was mentioned, uh, we'll get it for you, oh, here it is, yeah, 085-288-8888, so 0852 and then 68 after that, so that's the phone number for Anamkara if you need to um, avail of their services. Anyway, we will move on with the show today here at uh, Kilkenny Today. Morris O'Connor with you as usual, of course, on the Tuesday evening or indeed the Wednesday morning for the repeat. Lovely to have you with us. I'm going to take a short ad break now and we'll be back in a couple of minutes' time with Mick Parr, who's the National Estates Manager for Creelcha. So do stay with us and we'll be back after these. Community Radio, Kilkenny City. The voice of the Marble City. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Monday, 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 Play January's Community Radio, Kilkenny City, Split the Pot monthly draw whenever you see the yellow boxes. Put two euros in the envelopes provided. Write your name and contact number on the envelope and drop the envelope in the yellow box. Be in it to win. The more envelopes you have in the yellow box, the better chance you have of winning. You can also get the envelopes from any volunteer of Community Radio Kilkenny City or at the radio station at 32 Hebron Industrial Estate, just off the Hebron Road. Be in it to win it. And welcome back to the second part of today's Kilkenny Today. Morris O'Connor with you, as per usual, on the Tuesday afternoon, or indeed the repeat on the Wednesday morning. Great to have you with us. Anyway, do stay with us from now to the end of the show and on with the rest of our programming here on Community Radio Kilkenny City. Now, we would normally, as you all know, I think I'd be bringing you parish news at this time of the show, roundabout now anyway, and uh, it's probably no surprise to any of you also by now to know that we don't have any for you today. But we will get that back as soon as there is news worth uh, reporting or worthy of reporting to you. Keeping well, Anne-Marie Hogan, if you're listening in anyway, Anne-Marie usually does bring us the parish news, of course. Uh, but we do have on the line um, Mick Parr, who's the National Estates Manager for Creelcha. So good afternoon and uh, welcome to Community Radio Kilkenny City, Mick. Lovely to have you Hello. with us. Hello, Morris. How's, how's it going? Oh, great, great. I, I couldn't help it. I kind of had to decide I had to talk to somebody from Creelcha about Jenkinstown um, because one, I, I go there very frequently myself, myself and my wife for a walk. Um, to get our bit of exercise and two it seems to have become uh, more and more and more popular since restrictions were introduced and people are looking at where they can go within 5k so hopefully you'll be able to fill us in on maybe some things about Jenkinstown that maybe not too many people know about um, f- first of all you know there, it, it has a it has a long history there was an original Jenkinstown castle as far as I believe I found a, an old picture of it on Wikipedia dating back to something like 1830 of course none of it's still there um, that's the first bit of curiosity. Where did it go to? Well, it's, it's the same as a lot of the old estates. Um, a lot of those areas were dismantled shortly after the War of Independence. Um, a lot of those cultural buildings were destroyed. Uh, you have Jenkinstown, you have Desert, you have Woodstock. 
Um, you know, all all those old estates, Wandersford and Castlecomer would have been the same. And there would have been a long two to three hundred year history in all those old places. Uh, Jingletown as such is a very a very special place, a very special place for Kilkenny people. Um, it was laid out as a recreation area back in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, mm. by by Queen's at the time. <clears throat> now that w- that was at a time when I suppose uh, 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 people started to become interested in kind of recreational items place to walk and all that type of thing. Uh, it has really ballooned since, and in particular since the pandemic, all our recreational areas up and down the country and up and down the county as well have are showing huge usage, and Jenkinstown is the top of the list. Mm-hmm. We also have the likes of Castle Morris, the likes of Woodstock, uh, places like that that are showing huge usage as well. Jenkinstown, of course, has a path well worn to it with families long before the p- pandemic arrived, um, you know, it's good car park space, nice open area, safe, I suppose, for kids, uh, nice walks, uh, a good diverse mix of species, a good diverse mix of, of, of uh, plants and animals through Jenkinstown as well. And um, I think it holds a very special place for a lot of people in Kenny. It's an an area as well where, you know, social distancing can be practiced and people can be safe and can be safe in the knowledge that they're safe. Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And indeed, just uh, your mention of um, it being a special place uh, in the lives of many Kilkenny people, it's particularly special um, for the man who's actually driving the sound desk for me in the studio, Mick Cummins. He's just messaged me to say that his grandfather was a gardener for Lord and Lady Bellew of Jenkinstown House, and his name was Jim Burke. So, very um, good. There you go. So, direct direct connection to with um, community radio. Yeah, and there, City. There, there would have been. Um, there's a walled garden in Jenkinstown, as you know. Of course, that's where that's where the deer are are um, are enclosed, as things stand at present. And uh, that would have been a thriving uh, garden area within the within the walled garden. Those walled gardens were built specifically for that purposes. Whereas the walls were were were, were there uh, at the height to keep out predators, I suppose. Uh, they were also lined with red brick on the inside, whereas the red brick would have held the heat, and you would find and see a lot of tropical plants and uh, fruit and vegetables that you wouldn't get normally grown in Ireland back mm. in the 17 and 1800s were actually grown there, and that's what yeah, make a lot of those places so special. The, Wall garden in Woodstock would have been done in the in the in the same fashion. Yeah, and you, and you would have you just see you could see more of like how they would have been originally if you were to go out to um, Woodstock in particular, where I think it's been Woodstock has really been well restored re- and brought restored, it back into yeah. use. Yeah, and there's um, an excellent one down in Tinterton in Wexford, just on the Hookhead Peninsula. Uh, we have another walled garden down there, which has been very tastefully restored. Uh, by the Hook tourist um, group down there. Yeah, really you're ex- right. I've been down there. Well, very, very nice. It's beautiful. Uh, a bit out of range for most of us here in Kilkenny for the moment, but hopefully when... Um, when oh, absolutely, uh, things... yes. You're still within your five-kilometre zone. But yeah. if you look at the likes of Jenkinstown, being an old estate, one of the hallmarks of the old estates and what set them against one another, their, the level of competition they had during their heyday was the amount of exotic species that they were able to establish within the estate. 
and you go to Jenkinstown and walk through it and you can see massive trees like uh, like Monterey Pine, Monterey Cypress, sequoias, uh, stuff that you won't get in anyone's back garden, uh, hundreds of years old, uh, and they're still on the ground on the site there to be seen. Yes, um, indeed, yeah, you know, they are and very striking. That, yeah, and that, that sets them apart. It's like the monkey puzzle walk in, um, in Woodstock. Woodstock. Again, yeah. you wouldn't see too many of them in the country. But that was the level of competition that they had as to where they could source uh, uh, a number of these exotic species overseas. Uh, and that's how we got so many of our Western North American species, such as yeah. this far. And uh, did, uh, you'd also see, um, um, Mick, there's a, you know, walking around a few, the different walk routes um, around Jenkinstown. There's some other species, I think, that you, it seems as if you've been trying to keep a handle on and control. There's a stand of rhododendron up at one corner. There's a stand of bamboo, <laughs> I think, on another. And, and another Lauren part as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, it, it's the same as everything else, everything in proportion. Um, you know, nobody wants to see your scenic air is taken over by an invasive species or anything like that. And there's always a, there is always a danger in that. And, you know, you hear the Department of Agriculture sending out alerts in relation to people coming back from holidays when we were able to travel with slips of this and snippets of that. Uh, you don't know what you're bringing back with it when you're bringing it back. And it's out of stuff like that that we got ash dye back and Phytophthora remorum and sudden oak disease. Uh, you know, you, you certainly you hit the nail on the head there. You do have to be careful mm. with some of the exotics that you bring around the world. You know, of course, you do have you do have a very natural and native and indigenous spectacular display of bluebells there in the spring, which we've something to look oh, forward to coming into yeah. April. It's absolutely, absolutely amazing, yeah. stunning. It, yeah. It's renowned. It's renowned for that. Um, it was a pity. Uh, the harm that was done uh, during Storm Darwin in 2014 has it has left a huge hole in Jenkinstown, and it was in the oak areas that the biggest um, the biggest uh, the most damage damage was done. Now they're replanted and they're they're grown again, but you know to to get oak up to the point that they're impressive, it takes a lot more than one lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, but look, that's the that's the business of forestry, and that's the dangers of forestry. Uh, you do have uh, items out there such as as, as high winds, heavy storms, uh, fire. You know, all uh, uh, forest risks that you have to manage. Yeah, it would have it would have always been exposed to that anyway. So I suppose, like much as you might regret it, that's nature, and uh, hopefully that's, that's exactly yeah. that, that's exactly is nature, and you can't control nature much and all as we might like. To. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's too back, back, back to one of the more the more recent, not not natural, I suppose, man-made features that I think uh, everybody will know going out to Jenkinstown there when they park the car is that whole old um, threshing mill building there in, in the kind of the, the, the terrace of the, area of the park. Um, yes. it, yeah, fascinating um, building or fascinating um, bit of bit of structure there. Um, it, it would have been originally used for threshing probably a long, long time ago since it was ever actually used in anger. Oh, it would have been. It, it was restored uh, back in the late 70s with the roof put back on and the floor put in the in the loft upstairs. But the grain would have been put on the loft uh, just under the roof and it would have been fed down to the, to the middle wheel. And the middle wheel would have been worked by a horse going around and round and round and round. 
God help, God help the poor horse. <laughs> he Indeed. got plenty exercise yeah. during the day, but they were the they were the methods that were that were in in it at the time. Um, you know, it's 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 fascinating to uh, uh, have a look at that now and stand beside Brett's mill uh, or Dalton's mill or some of those and see the throughput of those in comparison to maybe what the throughput of that little mill was. Yeah, of course, literally one a, literally one horsepower mill. One horsepower mill, yeah. yeah. But of course, they yeah. were the they were the innocent, I suppose, times that we lived in. Um, the population wouldn't have been as 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 uh, as uh, you, you wouldn't have had so much population pressure at that time, and the loaf of bread was cooked at home in the griddle cake uh, tin. It wasn't uh, it wasn't bought in stores. Yeah, so, yeah different lifestyle and a different time, yeah. I suppose. And the throwback. other the other thing I'm curious about as well from the regular walks, uh, Mick. I know that. Uh, you know, it's it's been a kind of very popular place for uh, bird watching, and indeed, I even went out to one or two of the Dawn Chorus Birdwatch um, Ireland events over the over the years, um, and hopefully, we'll be able to do that again this May. Uh, I did hear, I think, um, a couple of years ago. I, think, I don't think it was last spring. I think it was spring 2019. I did hear what I believe was a great spotted woodpecker. It's definitely the sound of it. Anyway, I never quite got sight of it, um, but I didn't hear it again then. Last year, and I don't know, has anybody um, had any sightings or uh, spottings of those? Um, no, and in, I, I, and I, I haven't, and I've tried Jenkinstown for the woodpecker. Uh, I've spotted the woodpecker in Castle Morris. Uh, the woodpecker was nearly gone in Ireland uh, up to about ten years ago. Now he wasn't gone. A lot of people said he was gone, but he was. I know there was areas in Cavan that the woodpecker was in existence. Um, I was in Avondale in County Wicklow about two years ago and I heard the woodpecker just below the main house in Avondale and about maybe six months after that I heard him in Castle Morris. It wouldn't surprise me if he's back in Jenkinstown because when populations do start to bounce back they can bounce back very quickly and you know it was, it was great to hear it and it's very mm. distinctive if you hear the woodpecker oh, you it's know incredibly what, distinctive and it was yeah. in the same spot for a few days and then you know it's like as if it either had gone off somewhere else to look for a place to to find a nice tree suitable to make a nest or indeed it had found a found a little cubby hole in there in one of the trees and had actually nested and therefore yes, didn't and that, and that 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 could well could well be the case yeah but as i say very very, very, dis- very distinctive and it's good to see uh, you know, species that would have been under pressure uh, starting to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the things that forestry has done. Like, I mean, the forestry program of the last uh, 25 to 30 years has doubled the percentage. Uh, back in the early 90s, we had between 5 and 6% of this country under forestry. We're now gone over 11% in the last 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And that stock of forestry... Uh, has over 30 to 40% broadleaves. And a lot of those species that would have been in the country that were struggling for habitat are now coming back into those areas, which is great to see. It's a a knock-on effect of what the expansion of the forestry um, estate can be. And I think it should be encouraged that every hand's turned. Now, I would say that I'm a forester, wouldn't I? He would but, indeed. Um, well, my my late father-in-law is also a forester, so I'm kind of well, well versed in in the yeah your kind of interests and passions very, and enthusiasm. Very good. But One of the great know, things about um, Jenkinstown itself, Mick, is that there is that diversity of, of types of um, trees and and shrubbery and stuff in it, rather than as opposed to the kind of the pure commercial forestry that's very. I know it's part of your own organisation, but it's also very 
I suppose, uniform and possibly quite uninteresting from a biodiversity point of view. But somewhere like Jenkinstown has great potential because of the variety there, and it's so there's so much natural. Uh, oh natural yeah, there's there's there no. But I, I think everybody recognises at this stage that you know. Uh, 100% commercial forestry is not the way forward. It, it never was. Now, we have an industry built on the back of it that employs over 12,000 people, and I think that has to be respected as well. But there is, uh, in, in the last uh, year to a year and a half, Quilt have set up uh, a group called Quilt Nature, and uh, they have designated a lot of forest, in particular in the Dublin area, for return to biodiversity. So a lot of the softwoods and commercial material that you're speaking of uh, will be harvested and be replaced by native species. Oh, that'd um, be great to hear. Be great yeah, to see but that's, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's in great. train as, as things stand. You do have to preserve biodiversity. I mean, we all have to share the world whether we like it or not. We all have a contribution to make. And, uh, well, you know, the birds and the bees have the same contribution to make as we have, whether we like it or not, you know. Indeed, indeed they do. Well, I think that's been much wider, um, getting much wider recognition these days, and increasingly of so. Course. Anyway, I think we, we better, we kind of run out a bit of shorter time, Mick. I'd love to have been able to keep you on for a much longer chat. There's probably loads more that you could tell us about Jenkinson and indeed some of the other Quilty estates that you're responsible for managing. But it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, Happy no. New Year to you and uh, very best wishes for a great no, year. No bother, Morrison. The same to your staff. Ring any time, okay? Will Thank do. You. Thanks a million, Mick. Lovely, yeah, no, lovely bye, talk. Bye, bye, Take bye, care. Bye, bye now. Mick Parr, who's the National Estates Manager for Quilcha, and uh, we're just chatting about Jenkinstown and got into all sorts of wider issues there as well. As I said, I could have had a much longer conversation with him, but uh, time does move on, and uh, we do want to keep some time for our last guest of today, Kathleen Function TD, who's going to be joining us uh, just after the ad break to chat about the just-launched uh, report of the Mother and Baby Homes um, commission and very controversial report uh, too and there'll be a lot of coverage about that over these uh, these coming days indeed started just a couple of days ago uh, when some of that report was leaked and I know Kathleen would want to have, uh, has had quite a lot to say about that already so anyway do stay with us here on Community Radio Kilkenny City on Kilkenny today with myself Morris O'Connor and we'll be back with Kathleen Funchen uh, to have more chat conversation about uh, the mother and, home and baby um, homes uh, report just after these Shopping online? Shop Kilkenny online. Help our local economy bounce back. We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. Community Radio Kilkenny City, keeping you company on 88.7 FM. And welcome back to the last part of today's Kilkenny Today. Lot to have you with us as usual. Thanks for staying with me here on the show today. Uh, now, joining me on the line at the moment, and thank you very much indeed for joining us and a very happy... TD, of course, Sinn Féin, spokesperson for Children and Youth Affairs. Um, how are you, Kathleen? Not too bad, thanks, Morris. How are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. So you've had, uh, you've had a very, very busy uh, start to the new year, I think, in, in your the portfolio that you're um, shadowing Minister uh, Roger O'Gorman with. Um, the Mother and Baby Homes Report just published, I think, for, well, formally anyway, today with the Commission inve Investigation having compiled its report after a five-year inquiry. Um, first of all, I suppose the, 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 what I mentioned about formally or otherwise, the leaking of some of the details, you were, you were particularly annoyed at that. Yeah, so uh, I suppose the report was published today and we just got a copy of it at around 3 o'clock, so I'm still going through it and it's 3,000 pages, so it will take some time. 
Um, very difficult reading so far, I, I would say. Um, but we were very annoyed about the leaks at the weekend. You know, I mean, just the whole fact that these institutions existed, that women were forced into them, that so many babies were forced into adoption. And, you know, I've heard, heard very many stories of children going to maybe England or, or being adopted to America and families not even knowing, mothers not even knowing where their children ended up. So obviously that was the very first failing of the state um, to these women. And then over the years, they had to wait until 2015 that they're that to even hear or to mm. even, you know, a, a decision to be made to establish a commission of inquiry. And then since then, there's been so many different things. I've read all the situation last October about the sealing of the records and the rushing of legislation at that time. I think that actually might have been one of the, the last times that I was on your own program. And now here we had a situation at the weekend where just total disregard for survivors and for their families to leak the information like that. And because it's a commission of investigation report, it's actually a criminal offence to leak that information. So we did um, write to the minister regarding that and saying that we felt the, the guards need to be involved. But it is important that that doesn't detract from mm. you know today and the publication of the report and the content of the report and most importantly now what needs to happen in terms of everything that yeah, survivors yeah. and their families have been requested over the years. I, I appreciate that it's literally hot off the presses formally anyway Kathleen and um, there's be a lot more as you say that you, you need to read through before you'll get a really complete overview just before we come on to that a little bit i suppose that whole are you, are you confident of getting um, the confirmation of a guard or investigation in relation to that leak i would hope that we would see that um unfortunately i feel we have been let down um and i mean i suppose society in general on countless occasions by this government that are unfortunately very similar to our previous government so um but i do think it's important that we push for that and that there is accountability um you know some people will say that this government in particular is very prone to leaks but i think this is a very different situation it's a very sensitive mm. topic yeah, I think, I think that's, you would have to worry, wonder, like, what's the purpose? You know, there's like leaking is a well-established political tradition, if you want to call it that. Um, a, a very kind description of it um, can be a bit sinister at times, presumably. But you would have to wonder what was the point of leaking a, a document like this when, you know, there's, you know, you're not talking about political point scoring. You're not talking about putting anybody in an advantageous position or enabling them to run for cover or what you know that it seems a very yeah. strange scenario yeah it doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever um you know and it is such a sensitive topic and i, I know like the first thing that i was thinking of was you know with a sunday people reading that in the newspaper not having access to the report maybe potentially not even being able to contact anybody and and then a lot of survivors are you know um kind of older in years and particularly given the situation that we're in at the moment with COVID, very many people might have been feeling particularly isolated and um, you know so it, it, it was really really very wrong and that doesn't even isn't even strong enough it's hard to know exactly what words would go strong enough but it was very unfair on people that that was done and it's just mm -hmm. another injustice and for a lot of mm -hmm. people that have come through that mother and baby institutions they would say you know this is what they've come to expect from the state just to be failed time and time again. Yeah. That's why now, when 
obviously we do need to go to the report in a lot more detail but it's really important that all the asks around access to information and birth certificates um, and identities and exactly who you are that all of that is honoured as well mm-hmm. as the practical sports around counselling and and medical sports um, you know through a, a system that was established previously in, in, for other survivors mm-hmm. of other industrial um, institutions or, sorry the, the, the schools the industrial schools you know i appreciate you've only just as i say got the report from three o'clock earlier on but do you think are we going to find out you kind of yourselves or the public in general are we going to find out anything that we didn't already have a strong sense of because like it's a long long time ago many of the year now i can't remember exactly when first um catherine corliss was first highlighting the discoveries of um, baby's remains in the grounds of the former home in tomb yeah I, I i don't know if there would be any very new information as i say like we'll have to obviously read it in detail to see that but i do know that there are certain and um, what they used to call county homes there's one obviously well it now is it's it's it's, it's a nursing home but in, in thomastown it was a county home and i know some of those i don't think and some of the mother and baby homes weren't actually included in this report so i suppose there could be an ask there that maybe it needs to be widened and um, you know nobody mm-hmm. wants to see another very lengthy process but you know for example when the discovery was made at Tulum, it does i suppose lead itself to questions around other institutions and could there be burial sites there that people aren't aware of I know that there are some burial sites that people are aware of but you know does does it cover everything and I think it's important that all that is is covered very thoroughly now and that kind of get to the bottom of all that I suppose for want of better words yeah and the the part of the I suppose the uh, the if you want to call it the choreography around um, the release of this report is apparently still uh, unless it's um, Tishak Michal Martin was to think due to make a formal state apology tomorrow, um, and as I said, that seems to be part of the kind of the formal process or a formal necessity. But is is does it serve any real purpose? I've heard some commentators shedding kind of uh, really questions about it, like, well, what's what's the point? Well, look, I think the, an apology is important. Um, you know, like it is important that that's acknowledged that the state fails these women and their children and their families. However, it is words at the end of the day and what really we need to see is action and an apology is wanting but it has to be followed up by action for it to be any way meaningful and that has to be whether to the form of redress and the practical supports around the council and medical supports that I've mentioned but also mm. around the access to information and birth search. I mean, it's something that a lot of us, I know I certainly would take for granted, you know, if you ever need your birth search for, for something, you think, right, I'll go route that out wherever it might be at home. There is a huge amount of people that can't actually get a birth search. You know, mm. I mean, it comes down to, to very basics as that, and they all need to be, um, you know, looked at now. But the key thing, I suppose, in all of it is that, they, that there's continued consultation survivors and with their representative groups and that whatever is going to be implemented and whatever actions are taken now that their voices are heard and that they are at the very heart of all of this and that their you know their wishes everything that they want to see happen and 
is actually followed through and that we finally get action because mm. as I said earlier so many people that fall into this category you know are, are getting on in years and are older and it's really important that there isn't any delay around implementing uh, recommendations and you know various Kind of redress. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, as you say, particularly for kind of surviving mothers, and I don't know how many yeah. of them are there that there are who are in those mother and baby homes over the years. Um, there's but there's bound to be quite a number of them, and of course, um, they're very much um, the, have been victims, as indeed are all of the the children that they have, and that there's, there's a chance of, I suppose, of a lot more of those that did survive, despite the very high mortality rates in those places. Um, there are a lot of children are obviously still surviving and have been sharing some of their own stories. Um, so maybe, maybe that, that whole formal apology thing is from the state is really just to lay down a marker then to open up the kind of moral obligation, if nothing else, on the state to follow up with some sort of compensation and redress and support for for um, all of those um, mothers and children. Yeah, that will be, that, you know, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. So that will be the important thing is the actual action and, and, and what the plan is to implement that. And it has to be always done in consultation with survivors mm-hmm. and, and with their families and with the various representative groups so let's hope that that will actually be done and follow through on and uh, you know it, that it won't just be empty words because otherwise uh, and that's exactly what an apology is empty words so it's really important that we see action yeah, I suppose, as you say, the proof would be in the pudding. Um, there, there is one thing about, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, just the whole access to this, something as basic a document as, as your birth cert. And, of course, we all know how easy it is to apply for them online if you can do that and your records are there in, in the public registries. Um, there, there is the kind of the issues that's been raised in relation to the, the, these particular sets of records around, um, you know, privacy and th- whether that, has needs to factor in you know is there is there some sort of balance of rights between um, privacy of a parent and um, need or right to access to information of of the child you know if, if a, a child's or mother or, or indeed father doesn't want their name how 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 is the balance called be, between that because i'm sure it's not black and white thing uh, and as these things never are yeah no i, I appreciate that that is potentially difficult but i do think that we can't have a situation where the right to privacy trumps the right to identity. And I think at the very least, people should be able to access um, birth certs. You know, they're needed for so many different documents or, or different other kind of paperwork applications. So I think it's really important that people can get that and that people can get their records. Um, I understand and appreciate that for some people, um, you know, that may be difficult uh, but I really do think that that right to identity, you know, is very important as well. And I, I do think that that's, you know, that you're being able to physically obtain your, your birth certs, you know, has to take paramount. And, um, you know, it's, there, it's, it's difficult, I know, for some people, but I do think that it's unfair to deny a person, you know, their right to their, to know who they are, um, but just solely based on privacy rights. Mm. So I suppose that can be either remains to be seen whether that will either be enshrined in some legislation establishing the pecking order of those rights or indeed left to the courts to decide which would be um, probably not, not uh, maybe not the best way to go. Know. I don't know about what your own thoughts on this and I haven't actually heard any anybody mention it, um, Kathleen, but um, you know, I, I would have a personal wish and uh, loved. I would love to see, particularly as a man, 
that you know all of these children um, had fathers. Uh, it's absolutely undeniable. Every single one of them had a father. And just as there are a certain number of these uh, children's uh, mothers still alive, there are some of those fathers still alive. And I would dearly love if even one of those fathers would um, his fatherhood and uh, even just to admit it, whatever about apologizing for any hurt caused. I think that would that would be a huge kind of statement to make. And I don't know whether it's, it's, uh, we're likely to see anybody do that. I don't know. Have you any thoughts on that? Yeah, I suppose, like, yeah, there's a lot of people who have brought that up, that children didn't arrive into the world with just a mother. But, um, you know, I think that the big the big thing for me, I suppose, is the combination of the church and state and the attitude, uh, you know, that they had, that it was such a mortal sin in their, in their words. You know, in some instances, um, I know maybe just from reading some of the ex- extracts in the report from fathers weren't aware but of course that wasn't the case and the other big question here is the amount of cases of rape that there was as well right. um, and you know that that you know it's clearly documented that some women were well under the age of 18 and were potentially they were being raped by, by a family member or by somebody that they knew and when that was reported it was sort of totally dismissed and it was seen as somehow the fault of the yeah. woman so you know there's a lot of there's, there's a, lot a lot left, a lot of ground to, to left to be covered. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, Kathleen, I'm running completely out of time. Um, unfortunately, I'd love to be able to carry on the conversation or indeed have you back on, on later other shows for maybe for more coverage on this and some, indeed some other matters. I'm sure you have plenty of other things to say and lots of other subjects. Um, but it's it's been great to talk to you again and very, very best wishes for, for the new year to yourself. Thanks very much, Mars. Take care. Thanks. All the best. Thanks, Kathleen. Um, that was Kathleen Funchin, of course, in Fain uh, TD and spokesperson for Children and Youth Affairs. Uh, sorry to have to cut her off there so quickly, but uh, we have run out of time. And thanks very much to Mick Cummins there for uh, doing driving the sound desk for me, for Anne Nolan for helping me produce the show. I'll be back with you again on Friday. Till then, stay safe, take care, look after one another and keep out of the way of that virus. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. 